listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. As we continue on in our summer series here on the Beatitudes as we are talking about this upside-down kingdom living and, and what the blessed life looks like. It's kind of interesting, I'm not sure how many of you would be aware of this, but in 1963, Jimmy Soule um, had a song that made it number one for two weeks in a row on Billboard rankings, and it was, uh, the song was called, If You Want to Be Happy. And some of you uh, may be familiar with this song. Uh, This song was also then more recently rated as one of the top 15 songs that should not be played at a wedding. All right. So so because he's talking about here how how to be happy. He wants you want to know how to be happy. Well, here are some of the lyrics, just some of the lyrics from this song. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So from my personal point of view, get an ugly girl to marry you. All right, and that song and the lyrics just kind of go downhill from there. I'm not even going to continue on with it. And it's just like, really? He got away with that? And that made it for for two weeks in a row at the Billboard top ranking in 1963? Very interesting. And uh, kind of a bizarre kind of a song and with some very bizarre lyrics. Um, Yet so much of our lives, and, and I introduced the message today because just as bizarre as that may sound, For many of us, and what naturally oftentimes we end up doing, our pursuit of happiness and our idea of happiness can be just as bizarre as what he was just singing about. The time and the energy and the resources that we can put into our pursuit of happiness and doing the things and achieving and going for things that we think are going to make us happy, but will end up leave us lacking in the end can be just as strange as the words to that song. And so oftentimes I believe that so many of us, we live with these two words in the, the for, front of our minds so oftentimes, and this is the two words, if only. If only, and then you, you kind of continue on from there. If only I was married, and then it's all of a sudden, if only my spouse was more like this. If only I wasn't married, or... If only I had kids, or if only they slept at night, or if only they listened to me when I would speak to them and be better behaved. If only I had that job, if only I had that income, if only I had that relationship that was fixed. If only, if only, if only I had that car, or that house, or or that healing in my body. If only, if only, and we live our lives based on all of these if onlys in this pursuit thinking that if only that happened, I would be satisfied, I would be happy, I would be blessed. But it's just like as we even get to that point, there's always a new if only. It's kind of like somebody kind of continues to keep changing the goal line. We're marching down the field, but it's just like the goal line continues to to, to get further and further away. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been going over this the last number of weeks, Jesus is offering his disciples And to the crowd that would have been listening to him, he's offering them and he's offering it to us today. Anyone who has ears to let us hear the truth, he is offering true happiness. He's talking about a life that is truly blessed by God. Not just little insignificant, you know, I mean, significant in some ways, but in the light of all things, rather insignificant. He's talking about a God-approved, a God-blessed life. 
And he tells us how to do that. And nine times in nine verses, he uses that word blessed or blessed or happy, approved by God, are you if. He says, happy are they or happy are those. And, and as you see the eight beatitudes and nine words that we see here, this word blessed, we see that his understanding understand, understand, and, and what he is teaching about happy revolves around and consists of things very differently than the things I was just describing that so often we think will make us happy. And over the last three weeks, we've looked at, first of all, the condition of the heart or the position of a person who is a citizen, king, is a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see, one of the great dangers is that we can simply and dangerously think that all a person has to do, it's almost like it's some sort of a magical sequence. We say a prayer and you say these certain words and it's kind of like unlocking a combination lock or the password on your phone and you say the right words and you say it at kind of the right time with a certain sincerity in your heart and you're in. And you now are in as a child of God. And, and, and as we have prayed that prayer, then we have this mixed up understanding and even a theology that is proclaimed in a lot of churches even today is that it is now Jesus' job to get on my program. I'm his child. I said the prayer. I served. And now it's his job to give me what I want. It's his job to get on my agenda, my program. It's his job to bless me, to fix my family, to, to help me pursue my dreams, my goals, get me out of the trouble when I get into trouble so that I can have the best life and reach my full potential and be happy. And Jesus is going to be my ticket to get there. And sadly, we buy into this kind of thinking. And it's not right. It's not what Jesus is talking about, the secret of a happy life. His secret to a happy life his teaching is an upside-down kingdom because it's revolutionary and it's so different than what we would think. It becomes about my agenda, my goals, and oh, in the end, I get eternity when I die in heaven. You see, God's kingdom doesn't operate that way. What I was just describing is so backwards and unbiblical, and yet it is so common today for us to think that. Kingdom citizenship, to enter the kingdom... And living in the kingdom starts with these attitudes of the heart that Jesus is, is proclaiming to his disciples and all who would follow him at the starting point of his first message that he is proclaiming in the first message we have recorded. And he cuts right to the chase and he says, this is what a kingdom citizen looks like. This is the heart of a person who is pursuing and is in my kingdom. And therefore, we need to pay attention we need to listen to what he has to say. And what we see out of this and where we're going today is that there has to be a sense of desperation in our lives. And so oftentimes there's desperation in, in our lives for all of the wrong things. And this attitude and this condition in our heart needs to follow with some desperation. And we'll get, get into that this morning. The first three Beatitudes, as we've been looking them, we see that each one builds on another. Jesus isn't just randomly just kind of, you know, like, oh, and we'll put in this, and we'll put in this one. There's a sequence, there's a progress to, progression to this that we need to pay attention to. And the first four, we're going to cover number four today, the first four have to deal with our attitude in our own heart before God. It deals with our heart first. It, it's, it's the vertical relationship and how we enter that vertical relationship with God through Jesus. And, 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 and so he talks about the, that vertical, that relationship with God. The last four 
that we'll get to later on and through the summer here are horizontal. It's then how this life, this vertical relationship with God is then lived out with those around us. And again, this is so different because we think that as we go through life, it is about climbing the ladder. It's just one rung higher, one rung higher. We get this, we get this, we get this, and we continue to keep going. And Jesus in the Beatitudes is teaching something totally different. He's actually talking about taking steps down, down, down in humility, in brokenness, in meekness, in desperation before God. And he declares that as we are going into the depths, as we are going down in this brokenness and humility, will lead to depths of joy and happiness and satisfaction like we could never know beyond compare anything that this world can offer. And so the first beatitude that we looked at a number of weeks ago, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can read that in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse three there. And and he says we are blessed. We are blessed when we acknowledge our complete and utter bankruptcy and poverty before God. That in and of ourselves, no heritage, no religious activities, nothing that we have done in our past, nothing that our parents have done, anything that's happened to us in, in, in a church as far as a ceremony or anything makes us right with God. We come as spiritual bankrupt individuals, understanding we can't earn his grace, we can simply just receive his grace. And this spiritual poverty puts us in a place to be able to receive his grace. And that leads to the second one, blessed are they that mourn for they will be comforted. You see, this understanding of the poverty produces this mourning. We understand our sin and our brokenness the way that we have, have, have gone against God's standards. And, and we understand that the wages of sin are, is death. And so we don't gloss over sin. We just don't ignore sin. We don't just justify it. We, we mourn over it. We confess it. We, we, we turn from it. And it says that those who mourn over their sin are comforted. In other words, we are forgiven instantly. Instant forgiveness. It's not God is giving you, well, think about it. You know, what you did there was really bad. It was not good. So, you know, we're going to think about this whole forgiveness thing. I'll get back to you in a week. His forgiveness is instant. His forgiveness is immediate. And, he, and God's word tells us he remembers our sin no more. And all of this, what this does, this poverty of spirit and then just understanding this mourning over our sin, but us being comforted by his love and by his grace and his mercy and forgiveness produces the next beatitude, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This knowledge and this understanding just, just undoes us. We are undone by it and, 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 and we come to him in meekness and, and, and gentleness and, and even then the way that we treat others around us. We can't be harsh with others. Because God has forgiven us. And so oftentimes, I can be harsh with people. I can be harsh with my family when they don't do things that they want me to do, that I want them to do. And yet God is not harsh with us. And I have to confess my harshness is sin before God. And I cannot hold on to grudges. I cannot hold on to bitterness because look at what God has done for me. And so as we understand these beatitudes, it, it, it does this work in our heart. But there's one more condition, one more condition of the heart that we need to pay attention to. And these four then together just make for a powerful move of God in our lives, not just for one day, but for every day. And this talks about what is going to be the driving passion in our life. And I wonder today, if we were to ask the question, what is the driving passion of your life? Or maybe if we should ask other people, or we look upon your social media, or we look upon the, uh, various aspects of, of your income and how you spend your money, what's the driving passion of your life? 
What is the driving passion? And, and this cuts through the heart. It cuts to what's really, truly important in our lives. What are we truly hungry for? What are we pressing in towards to make us happy? And Jesus says here in chapter 6 of Matthew 5, or in verse 6 of chapter 5, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me repeat that again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here Jesus goes again making this paradoxical statement. I mean, he's been saying all of these things all along and we've been kind of uncovering them and digging into these truths the last number of weeks. And here he is saying this again. Blessed, he's saying, happy are the hungry. Happy are the thirsty. You're blessed if you're hungry. You're blessed if you're thirsty. I mean, this doesn't make sense. It's just so opposite. You see, it's after we've eaten a good meal. That's when we're satisfied. When our tummy is full, but not too full. We don't want to overdo it, of course, but even sometimes we do it. We're just, oh, that was so good. And we can probably all have our various go-to meals. And here's just a smattering of go-to meals that may kind of uh, get your taste buds going. And, and, you know, and, and I went for, for all types, you know, from the meat lovers to the vegan to the chocolate lovers and to us egg lovers. And, and you know, and it's just so amazing. I mean, just look at all that beautiful, gorgeous food on there. And, and, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm happy if I, if I get into that steak there or into that chocolate cake or, you know, that is those deviled eggs. Why do they call it deviled? I mean, they are wonderful. They're, they're angelic eggs. I mean, to have that kind of mush in the egg. I mean, it's just so wonderful. And, 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 and I mean, it just get, gets you going. And, 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 and I mean, that, I mean, some of that kind of stuff. Or else on the thirst side of things. I mean, there's nothing like on a hot day or after a difficult and a hard workout like a glass of water, right? I mean, or, and, and I had to put the garden hose in there because, come on, I've confessed this before. Some of the best water you could ever drink is straight out of the garden hose, isn't it? There's just something about that, those dangerous little, you know, plastic chemicals coming through your garden hose, you know, and, and, and just something, there's a certain flavor and a coldness and it's just so refreshing. You're out working in the yard and you're dusty, dirty, you're hot and sweaty and you just turn on that garden hose and you let it run for a long time and then you just slobber it all over your face and it, oh, it's so refreshing. That is when I'm happy. That's when I'm blessed, when my tummy is hungry or, or is nice and full on that good food or my, my thirst has been quenched by some wonderful refreshing water. Now that is a picture of refreshing. That is a picture of being satisfied. That is a picture of a blessed life, right? Jesus turns it all upside down. He says, no. He said, blessed are you when you are hungry and thirsty What's Jesus talking about? Being hungry and thirsty, and that's a blessing. We, we, we think the fullness is in the blessing. But what Jesus is talking about, and what we have to get to today, is talking about real hunger and real thirst. You see, what we're, what we're talking about just goes towards our, our passions and, and, and towards, you know, the things that, that we, you know, kind of enjoy very much at times in life. But he's talking about a real hunger and a real thirst, and the real hunger and the real thirst that Jesus is talking about, I'm sure probably most of us in this world have never, or in this room here today, have never experienced to the extent of when Jesus was speaking to the crowds here on this Mount of Beatitude as he was preaching 
on, um, to the crowd here on that morning. You see, we have such instant access to food. I mean, food is available to us. It's in our refrigerators. It's in our stores. It's in our, in our cupboards. It's in our cold storage rooms, wherever it is. It's in our deep freezes and our fridges. I mean, even right now, now don't get any idea. Any one of you could get on your phone in the middle of the sermon here, and you could go on Skip the Dishes app, and you could order from an array of restaurants and have it delivered right here to your seat. Now, please don't do that because you'll make everyone hungry, and that just would not be good because that just would be a, a total distraction. But you could do it. Even in, in a city where we see an increased rising in, in the homeless situation and the problem that is going on, there is still no reason for anyone here in this city, in this region, ultimately in our nation, to starve to death like what Jesus was talking about here. Because of places like the Gospel Mission and the Food Bank and other programs, starvation, now hunger can be an issue, but starvation isn't. And that hunger is an issue oftentimes uh, because of choices and, and because there's not a lack of supply of food. There's not a lack of generosity to help people. But over the centuries and in Jesus' time, they were very much aware of what it was to be hungry in the way that Jesus was talking about, to be thirsty in the way that Jesus was talking about. And over the centuries, millions upon millions of people have died from starvation, from malnutrition, from thirst, from dirty drinking water. And that is still going on in pockets in our world today. And so much of this over the years has been caused by famine, drought, political unrest, and war. And so there can be this kind of hunger and thirst that ends up going on. I was just even reading this past week. In East Africa, there's approximately 15 million people, about half the size of Canada, of people who are facing starvation and malnutrition and terrible drinking water conditions because of drought, but also because of the political walls that have been raised up, making it hard for food and for aid to get into those regions. I read this week in, in Rome in the fourth century that tens of thousands of people jumped off of a bridge into the Tigris River, into the raging Tigris River to end their lives because they were facing starvation and they thought it would be better to, to, to drown them, to be drowned than to suffer from starvation. Today, I mean, heaven forbid, we miss a meal and we think we're not going to make it. You know, kids going home after, you know, after church or, you know, after being out or, or you know, after a day of school, like, I'm hungry. If I don't have something right now, I'm going to die. I'm starving, you know, like, feed me. And, and you say, uh, that sounds like my husband or someone might say that sounds like my teenager, you know. And, and we know nothing about the kind of hunger and the thirst that Jesus was actually getting at here. He's talking about a desperation, a hunger and a thirst that's desperate. And his audience would have clued in when he was talking about this hunger and this thirst. You see, here's something important for us to understand. You might want to write this down. Kingdom citizens have a deep level of desperation. As kingdom citizens, there is supposed to be a deep level of desperation in our lives. For righteousness. Not for all the other things. And yet, sadly, there is a deep sense of desperation and a focus and a passion for acceptance, for the approval of others, for popularity, for power, for making a name for ourselves or, or driving our own agenda. We're desperate for comfort or for exciting times where, you know, and thrills and spills in our lives. And, 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 and we're desperate for enduring relationships or financial security or, or our health or safety or, or, or for family peace in our lives. We're desperate. We can't wait with desperation for the next season on Netflix to be revealed of our favorite show. Oh, I can't wait. 
Or we can be so desperate for all of these various things. And some of these things to be desperate and to be wanting and desiring them aren't bad things, but they're not the best things that we are to be desperate for. And the, things, the best things that we're to be desperate for, we're oftentimes not. And some of these things, as I said, they're not bad, but they're not the best things. And you see, kingdom citizens have a deep level of desperation. A real hunger and a real thirst. Underline those words, I encourage you. Real hunger and real thirst, all right? Later on in this sermon, Jesus ends up talking about worry. And, 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 and Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, and all these things will be taken care of. You don't need to worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he'll take care of it. He'll take care of you. C.S. Lewis, great quote. This will be on the website uh, for you to get if you don't get, get it here this morning. Incredible quote. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. There's so much more available. And we run around with passions and excitement for things that just don't matter. Things that don't last. And Jesus is talking about a desperation here. He's talking about us being people that are hungry and thirsty. And I wonder what are you hungry and thirsty for today? Is it warm in here? You guys finding it warm? You okay temperature-wise? I'm a little anxious right now for a little air conditioning. I'm feeling it's a little warm in here. Maybe it's just a message or something here, you know, that we're going through. But, but I wonder even more than that, what is the driving ambition of your life? What's the compelling desire of your heart? When you lay your head down on your pillow, what are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? What are your passions going towards? How you can further your name, your business, your opportunity, your bank account. Is that the things? Is it so that there's family peace and stability? Again, some of these aren't, aren't necessarily bad things. They're just not the best thing. Again, what would those around you say would be the driving, compelling passion of your life? Jesus is saying that those who enter his kingdom, those who are living in his kingdom, kingdom citizens are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And so we better understand what's righteousness. What's he talking about righteousness? You see, righteousness is to the kingdom what food and water is to the natural person. What food and water are to us as individuals. We need it for survival. Jesus is saying you need righteousness in order to be truly satisfied. You need righteousness to be pursuing that desperately and be hungry and thirsty for it. In order to be a kingdom citizen. This is Jesus saying this. And he's saying this in, in this order that we've talked about. This spiritual impoverished. Being mourning over our sin. Having an attitude of meekness. And then also an uh, attitude and a heart set of hunger and thirsting after God. I love the way John Stott states these areas of righteousness. Righteousness that we see in the Bible, because that's the big question. That's what we have to figure out. What is he talking about as righteousness? Is it right living? What does he mean by righteousness? 
hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and John Stott states it as there's a legal ri- righteousness we see in the Bible, a moral righteousness, and then a social righteousness. And we're going to dig into those for a few moments here this morning. First of all, the legal righteousness, which is a big word. It's in theology, books, and, and it's important words for us to know is justification. This is justification. This is in the courtroom scene, and you can read about this in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. This is about having a right relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. This is about our salvation. We are to be hunger, hungry and thirsty for this in our lives, to be justified before God. This is a picture of the divine courtroom with God as the judge, and we are the accused, and the enemy is the prosecuting eternity. Eternity, I can't even say the word, um, attorney who is charging us with, with our sins and reminding us and making us get, feel guilty over them. And, and then all of a sudden into that courtroom walks in Jesus Christ, the righteous, our substitute, our advocate. And it was because of his death on the cross, his sacrifice for us, and then his victory over death, his victory over sin, that the penalty for our sin has been paid and the power of sin and death have been broken. And this is when the guilty sinner who places their trust and their faith in the finished work of Christ confesses their sin, turns from their own agenda in desperation and cries out, Lord, save me. The gavel is then brought down, the stamp that we have been forgiven, the declaration has been made that we have been justified before God. This is the great exchange. He takes our sin, we get his righteousness. Totally unfair deal, and yet I'll take it. He takes my sin upon himself, and I receive his righteousness. So then when God looks upon me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees his son. He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so this legal righteousness is God's work on us. God working on us in our lives. This is the judge of heaven and earth placing his righteousness on us as sinners. Declaring them righteous. And apart from this, folks, apart from what I've just described here, there is no salvation. There is no heaven. There isn't. You and I need this or else we will die in our sin. I will die eternally, forever, in a place called hell, unless this has happened in my life. And so has there been a hunger? Has there been a thirst for this in your life? Has this ever happened in your life when you have come to that point and said, enough, enough of my way, and I'm going to choose God's way? You see, people come to church oftentimes, and they move towards Jesus, or they become religious, and, and maybe this has even been, I'm sure it's the story, of, of a good number of folks here today. You come to church, you turn to religion in desperation because you want and you need Jesus to fix your marriage. You're in a tough spot and you need some help and you're desperate or, or you turn to Jesus because you know what, maybe, maybe he will help me. I, I, I heard someone tell me that he's gonna help me to, to fulfill my goals and my dreams. Or I'm just, I'm sick, I'm dying. And so I better get, I better get heaven and, and I better go to church and I better get Jesus. And so oftentimes we can come to Jesus like this. And Jesus, like I said a little earlier, that Jesus becomes a means to my own end, to my agenda. I need to get from him something. 
And if that's all that he is, if that's the only reason we've come to him, our roots will be shallow. That's a shallow conversion, a shallow faith. And it won't last. When we are simply just running to Jesus to fix my life or to fix my problems or to bless me, to help me, to get me into heaven. But it's in that need, and this is the beautiful story, I believe, of so many of you here, and it can be your story here today, that out of that trial, it exposed a greater problem, a deeper issue. And it became the catalyst to reveal to you your need for Jesus to be justified before a holy God because of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us. See, a few years ago, I had a really bad toothache. Any of you ever have a really bad toothache? Come on. Yeah, I'm sure most of you have all had that. And, and, and I had one that was, you know, I kind of thought, I can beat this. I can beat this. You know, and, and I'd start feeling this rising up pain, and I would just take a few painkillers, and it would kind of go down, you know, and it'd be good for a bit. And then it got worse again, and so I took, you know, another Tylenol, and it seemed to go away. But after a while, that pain became so severe. And at times, my family, I don't even know if they remember this, but I remember just like, oh, going like this. You know, I'd run and I'd take a pill and, and, and it would take a while for the pain to go down. And all of a sudden, oh, it's down and I can live again and it's fine. And, you know, this went on for a few day, weeks, you know, and thinking oh, somehow it's just going to heal itself, you know, and, and, and that, you know, don't love necessarily going to the dentist and having to have some guy sticking his fingers in my mouth, you know, and, and, and so maybe it's just this guy thing or me thing, I'm not so sure. And finally, I'm like, okay, enough of this, enough of this, I have to get in there and I have to, 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 to go to the dentist. And now it would have been really silly for me to go to the dentist and, and, and say, doctor, doctor dentist, um, I have this problem and, and there's a lot of pain. Can you just give me a needle and just numb the pain? Can you just like numb it for me so it's not going to bother me? And then when it happens again, can you just numb it again, you know, and just, just, you know, help me in that way? I mean, that would have been silly for me to say that, you know, just take away my pain. Just, you know, just, just, just make it go away and, and that. And, and as he took some x-rays and he exposed what the problem was, he told me, he says, either we fix this thing or we yank it. It's either one or the other. He says, if you want relief, I've got to get in there. I've got to dig out the, the junk, the, the cavity that's causing all of this, or we just need to yank that tooth. And considering that it was a wisdom tooth, I decided, let's, yeah, let's yank that baby. You know, and he put some freezing in my mouth and something. Look, he even got one of these cool little things here, you know, and there's a nice little picture of that little thing. Um, you know, and, and here it is. You know, I don't keep it around with me all the time, but I mean, what a specimen of, of you know, a root system. And see, the problem was, was in the root. And, and I mean, what did he have to do? I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it, I mean, it was the fastest and the best thing. All of a sudden, you know, he just, you know, put these pliers, in, you know, on it. Well, that's what it felt like, you know. And, and all of a sudden, like, there, it's gone. I'm like, woohoo! Pain is gone. A little, a little numbness and a little soreness for a bit, but problem solved. That would have been so f silly just for me to deal with the pain and never have the problem dealt with. And so oftentimes we can come to Jesus just to alleviate some of the pain in our life or to help us to get us to ne the next thing. And he wants to deal with the problem. He wants to deal with our sin. That is the root of the problem of anything that we're facing here in this world. And not to say that the, it, it'll make all the other things go away, but it puts everything into a proper biblical perspective. And so the troubles and the trials and the issues that we're facing, those longings that, that we want God to come in and fix them are more of that catalyst for God 
to deal with the ultimate problem, and he's done that through his son, Jesus Christ. And as we come to him, we hunger and we thirst. We're desperate for his righteousness to be in right standing before God. And the only way we do that is by running to Jesus. We come in that poverty of spirit. We come mourning and broken and turning from our sin. And we come in a meek, humble attitude before God. And that starts spilling over into our heart and our attitude towards others. And we come with a hungry thirsty, desperate desire for his righteousness, for him to forgive us. You see, my marriage or my family or my finances or my status or my business, they're no longer the primary issue. The primary issue is our sin. But when that is dealt with, we have his power, his strength, We have his spirit living in us to deal, to handle, to walk through, not to take us out of the storms, but to lead us into the storms at times. And his power will be there to help us and to guide us in and through that. And so to hunger and thirst, first of all here for this legal justification, as we've been talking about, is to see our sin and rebellion as God sees it, as an offense to him, but to know that Jesus has covered it. Have you done this? Have you been justified? Not just coming to Jesus and praying some prayer and just say, hey, help me and now pursue my agenda where we're in poverty of spirit, where we're broken over our sin. And a meek and a humble and a desperate heart say, oh God, forgive me, a sinner. And when we do that, his justification, his mercy, his righteousness is applied to my life and to yours. The second righteousness that we see is a moral righteousness. This is sanctification. This is a righteousness that we pursue on a daily basis based on justification, on the work that God has done on us. Now he is working in us. You see, A.W. Tozer in the book, The Pursuit of God, a study that a number of men and encourage more of you to be a part of Friday mornings or Monday evenings uh, in in, uh, our church here A.W. Tozer, he wrote this, and it was from chapter one. He said, everything is so often made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. Something, he says, we don't find in the scriptures. We are misled if we think that once we have found him, we don't need to seek him any further. We need to be sanctified. We need to allow God to be working in us through our inner being, conforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Is there a growing hunger and thirst for this? Is there a hunger and thirst for the word of God, to be in the word of God, to receive direction from him and to follow his path for wisdom and direction in our business, in our lives, in our family, in our relationships, and not what the, earth, what the world tells us to pursue and what to do. It, it is a daily declaring war on our sin. It's growing in that knowledge and the understanding, the love of the justification of what he's already done in our lives. It's turning away from who we used to be and becoming more and more like him. It's putting off those sinful ways, those sinful patterns and desires in our life and coming towards him, turning away from the passions and the pressures of the world. This is the relationship with Jesus that he so desires to have with us moment by moment and day by day. Yet when Sin that is unchecked in our lives, chasing after the wrong things, being involved in the wrong conversation, doing things that we ought not to do, creates a gap and it hinders that intimacy with Christ. 
And sadly, those days can become weeks, can become months, and then we're just simply going through the spiritual motions when he says, I have so much more for you. Our hearts no longer hear his tender voice speaking to us. We read his words, and it's just words on a page. Many of you can maybe even think of back when you first got saved and the hunger and the thirst that you had to grow and to learn in the word of God. Or after coming back from a significant time of commitment, a camp or Bible school or on a missions trip and, 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 and God was just doing this great work in your life and you're so amped up, you're so fired up. Or then you sit around like the old Muppet judges from the old Muppet show. Some of you can think of, should have put a picture of them up here who just kind of sit around and you watch the new believers. You watch new people who get fired up and say, oh, don't worry, they'll become like me in no time. No, we're to have a hunger and a thirst for more and more of him. And yet we are thirsting and drinking from the waters of the world and thinking that will satisfy and it won't. Are you hungry and thirsty for this kind of righteousness? Oh, may we be like David who says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul is panting and longing after you, O God. It's like Paul, the apostle, at the end of his life. Book of Philippians. What's he saying? He's not tapping out. He's not thinking, yeah, I've got enough. He's like, no, I want to know Christ more and more in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in a greater way in my life. Go home this week and read Psalm 63. Write that down, Psalm 63. Go and read it. And earnestly pray that we would have a heart, that you would be a person, that we as a church would be people who have a heart like King David. Yes, he's on the chase. His son is chasing after him. And he's, he's confused and he's discouraged and facing this trial. But he says, but earnestly I'm going to seek you, God. I'm going to go after you. Like, like I'm in a dry and a weary land and yet you're going to satisfy. You're going to take care of the issues. You're going to take care of my enemies. My focus isn't going to be on you pursuing you, God, with outright abandon. That is pursuing having a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, living the sanctified life. And the third righteousness that we are to desperately pursue with a hunger and a thirst is a social righteousness. That is joining God in the mission that he has for us. This is God's work around us. With God's work on us in the stamp of justification that our sins have been forgiven and we've been declared innocent before a holy God and we have his spirit living in us and we know that one day eternity is a promise for those who have trusted him in this way. We then take his word and we want to follow it and we want to read it and we want to be conformed through sanctification to be like Christ and to live a life pleasing to him. And from that, as God is working on us and then he's working in us, this is God working around us. We are compelled and we long and desire to see the world around us be made right. This is loving people around us with our actions, but even more importantly, with our words, sharing the gospel. Please, 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 I hope in a small group, I hope that in a service, I hope in a conversation, I never hear the words come out of you, you know, I, I believe it's just so true, and pastor, you know, this is something I've given my life to, speak the word of God always, and sometimes, if necessary, use words. That's my motto. Use words, because it's words that are going to save people. Good deeds aren't going to save people, they are a catalyst, and God uses that for us to use words to share the gospel with them. It is by hearing that people receive the gospel, the good news. And based on, we have a hunger and a thirst 
to declare him with our lives and with our lips. And may the gospel always be fresh in our hearts and his love and his truth ready to speak to those around us. Change isn't going to happen through politics. It's not going to happen in the next election by getting Trudeau out or Horgan or Trump or whoever it is that is, is the, the flavor of the day in politics. That's nothing to God. True change is going to happen as God gets hold of us, as he works on us, as he works in us, and then he works around us. That's when change happens in societies. Are we hungry and thirsty to share the gospel, to be about his kingdom work, or are we about our work only? It's why we plant churches. It's why this church got planted. You think we're doing this here, this set up and take down and all of this craziness for the last three and a half years? Cra holy craziness, I'll say. It's not complete craziness. Just for the fun of it? Just so that we kind of have a harvest stamp here in Kelowna? Are you kidding me? It's for the gospel. So that we can proclaim the word of God, as it says on one of these new ones, I don't know which one, I think it's over here, proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. This is the answer to people's prayers. There have been people, I know this, in our church that were praying for a church like this here in Kelowna for the last 10 to 15 years, and God has been answering those prayers to get the gospel out, God working around us. Taking the word of God and not bending it and tickling ears and, and, and straying away from it, but desiring to teach the word of God as head on as possible. And yeah, the time might be limited that we're able to preach like we preach here in this church and in other churches that are committed to preaching the word of God. We may get the boom lowered on us. And yet God will be faithful. This is why we do it. It's for the gospel. It's because of his righteousness we are doing this so that the gospel goes forth. It is the only thing that can change the lives of people and families and problems and all the helps for the addictions and the sin and the materialism and everything that we see in the world. It is the gospel. It is the word of God. And we are compelled to live this out on mission for him using our time, our talents, and our treasures. And I do have to say to you folks, we need people to step up and help serve in virtually every area of ministry in the life of our church. You can go on the website, sign up to serve, be a part of that. You can commit to an area, some areas where some have slipped away, just think, oh, it's not a big deal. Need you to re-engage. This, this is about the mission of God's work and God's word going forth in our city. And we're so consumed with other things. May we have a hunger and a thirst for this kind of legal justification in our lives, for this righteousness, this sanctification and Live on mission for him. And what does, what does Jesus say? Hey, those who are pursuing righteousness, those who are suing, pursuing biblical righteousness in this way, he says, you will be satisfied. You will be blessed. And here's the thing. As we hunger and thirst and find our satisfaction here in Jesus and live and pursue this righteousness and we're hungry for this and thirsty for this kind of righteousness... We are satisfied, but it only makes us hungry and thirsty for more. We want more and more of him. We can't get enough of him. And we want our lives to be full of him. It's not a duty to read and study, to worship, to pray, to serve, to sacrifice, to, to give of tithes and offerings. It's not a duty. As God is faithful to us, we want to give more back to him. We want to be faithful because he has been so faithful. He's filling us with good things and we want to share it with others. And so we are blessed and we are satisfied. This is the way to blessing. 
And this isn't just a satisfaction in the good days when everything goes well. This is a satisfaction in the good king that no matter what happens, there's strength and there's peace in the midst of the storms and it will cause our joy in the gospel to be that more accelerated and exciting and passionate because God's at work in us and through us.